Welcome to the Daily Objective. Lately, one of the trends in the workplace is what people call quiet quitting. So quiet quitting means that you don't actually quit, but you don't go above and beyond what is expected from you at your work. So it has to do with something like an overburn or a dissatisfaction with work and an understanding that the work is not the most important thing in life. Recently, we talked about so-called, quote, hustle culture. Think about quiet quitting as something that goes against this trend. It's again, it's a trend that says that your work is something that should probably end at five o'clock or whatever your contract says, and you should not go above that. Now, there are various angles from which you could see it. We could see it as related to the, quote, great resignation, which is people during the pandemic working from home, and then after the pandemic or after the lockdowns, not wanting to return to the office space, not wanting to return to their nine to five. So we're here to discuss all this with uh, Mark. So Mark, why did you find this uh, topic uh, interesting? I think you were the one to suggest it. So what got your attention and what's your first take on quote, quiet quitting? Yeah, I think you're right. I think some of it has to do with the fact that people got to work at home and they decided that that was a much better option for them. Um, I don't know if they're more or less productive, but they've they've seen the, that going back and forth between the work and the home isn't, necess- isn't, isn't a necessary trip for them to make to be, to be working. But I don't think that's really what quiet quitting is all about. I think it has to do with a misunderstanding uh, with respect to what work means in a person's life. And uh, I think these people think that work is something one has to do. One shouldn't necessarily have to do it, but it's it's sort of an arbitrary uh, assignment we give people to you know keep them biologically alive, but it's, it's not a necessity. It's not tied to your self-esteem. Uh, it's not necessarily tied to your sense of purpose in life. And I think that is is not really understanding the nature of work, um, and I and I think if people understood that work, where, where you spend a good half of your life at least, should be something that nourishes you not just materially but spiritually. It should you should try to do produce value in an area uh, in which you find satisfaction doing it. That said, you should also switch your paradigm with respect to work and and understand that. Um, maintaining your body and maintaining your lifestyle is a part of your happiness too. And that to do that in a trading society, you have to exchange values with people. You have to be a producer and you have to exchange with people in order to do that. That's a fact of life that one should revel in, not reject. Okay. So let's start with the main point, which is that work for, for someone to say, I'm going to quiet quit, it means that probably you, you're not too excited with your job. And the thing, the first thing to notice is that most of the people who talk about quiet quitting, it's about white collar jobs. So many, so, and the number one example that is brought is the work of being a teacher, either at school or a university. So these people claim that they're overworked and underpaid. And this is why one of the examples of quiet quitting is, is teachers finding new ways to mark assignments. If you've ever been in a classroom or at a teaching job, you know that back in the day where there were physical essays, you'd have a pack like this to, to mark. And this is 
something that people find quite annoying. So a reason to quote quiet quit is to either find a system where marking becomes automated through an, uh, a program or whatever, or there, there have been also some other ways, in which case you tell the students to highlight what are the relevant parts that relate to the marking criteria. So in some ways you give up some of the burden that you have with the part of the work that you don't like. But the question then is, isn't the fact that you feel like you have to quiet quit, isn't it a bell that says that you don't really like your job? Or could it be that someone who thinks that, oh, my work is my life, I love working all day, whatever, there's something wrong with them because they have no life. And this is particularly easy, a trap to fall into if you're an objectivist, because yeah. odds are you've been inspired by Howard Rourke, whose, whose work is very, very, very fulfilling. And then you become rationalistic towards it. And you, you tell yourself, I have to like my job. If I don't like my job, I'm not living a good life. I'm not a proper objectivist. So, Mark... Is it necessary that if you are a good objective, so to speak, or if you live, have an integrated life, that you love your job to the point where you don't mind working 10 hours every day or 12 hours every day? No, I think I think living is an art. And I think um, I think your feelings about your job are contextual. And it may be that it's something you don't want to do. It's a temporary thing to uh, until you can achieve the goals that you want. But you can still commit yourself 100% to it and, and give it the, the attention that it deserves. Look, I think, I think teachers who feel that they're overworked and underpaid, this is part of a scenario we, 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 we have set up with state schools and unions that have scales of payment that have uh, more to do with the, the length that a person has been at a job than their efficiency at it and, and how good they are. Private schooling would change all that. The best teachers would get paid quite a bit for what they do. And that those who aren't very good would fall by the wayside. Those who are just in it for benefits or so that they could laze through the rest of their life with a minimum amount of effort will fall away by the wayside. And those who really enjoy their jobs, as I do as a teacher, I love teaching. I love, I love seeing the light go on in somebody's eyes. I love changing the course of their life or being a, a part of changing the course of somebody's life. But objectivists should, should note that Howard Rourke was the only, really the only person in that book who could fully relax on vacation, who could sit there and not think about work, not trouble himself about work one second, because like a Zen master, he was involved in whatever he was doing, completely and totally engaged. And I think that should be what you do. If you're at church, uh, 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 don't think about being with your wife. And if you're with your wife, don't think about being at church. Be where you are presently in this moment and you'll find yourself being much happier. True. So another uh, explanation of uh, this unfulfillingness of modern workplace is something that the leftist scholar, the late David Greber, called bullshit jobs. And he claimed that capitalism is to blame for bullshit jobs. But... So what are bullshit jobs? Bullshit jobs are jobs that shouldn't in a way exist. There, there are jobs that are so bureaucratic that even if you're even when you work eight hours every day on this job, you are not even sure why you're doing it. An example would be some admin people who most of the day deal with Excel. Or I would think these days uh, human resources uh, are uh, bullshit, uh, bullshit jobs. But before blaming capitalism for 
this uh, disheartening trend, I would say, ask yourself, what is the ideology behind the modern workplace? And I would say it's not capitalism. What is the ideology behind this, the workplace becoming almost infantilizing, where you have these uh, silly things, where you, you, know, you wear silly hats on uh, some, uh, on some days, or you do diversity training, or there's a particular code of contact with which you talk to your co-workers and you have to work on Excel. So these have to do with the infantilizing of today's, uh, of today's life, of people not taking themselves and their work seriously. A lot of these jobs indeed probably shouldn't exist in a healthier culture. So I totally understand this idea that if you do an HR job, or a diversity job, or a job where uh, you are uh, you are supposed to feel excited, and then you inside yourself you ask why am I excited about this? So I remember when I was working in university, we had many people who would come to students and say, "Oh, I'm uh, in that student service uh, in the library, the student welfare, whatever. I, I love my job so much. I can't wait every day to come at my job." And two months after, you'd see this person will disappear and leaving the job and going somewhere else. And you realize that, no, they were not that excited about, uh, about their job. But still, there's something in me that wonders, why is it mostly white-collar jobs that feel this burnout? It's highly unlikely that you will hear a plumber or a builder, although their jobs are way more tiring or often way more dangerous and risky. It's highly unlikely that you're going to hear them say, oh, I'm on a burnout and I'm going to quote quiet quits. What's, what would quiet I, I, quitting look for? A I, I, I th yeah, but I think it's, I think it's twofold. I think, I think the, pers the person in those jobs sees the concrete result of what, what they're working for, right? There's a product at the end that they could actually take pride in, whereas somebody who's in an administrative position, um, shuffling papers and are working with bureaucracies, there's, there's really no end in sight. And it, and it is sort of a, it is sort of a phony time filling job. It does come from infantilizing people and from a, a culture of permission as opposed to sovereignty. And that's that I think on some level, psychologically, you can't escape the, the meaning of that. So um, and, and I think there's an attitude towards white collar work and blue collar work in America that, you know, smacks of that old Marxist idea that I think has saturated us all that, you know, if, if you can't really if you can't really you know, reduce what somebody is doing to some concrete material thing that's being made, then they're not really working. You know, the number of people who think CEOs do nothing you know, or that executives or that allocating capital and organizing, organizing a company and making all the various pieces run is really no work at all. Um, these are the same people that think a musician who's sitting with his instrument eight hours a day is really producing nothing and doing nothing. They don't understand that abstract work is hard too. Um, so I, th I think it's a complex thing that can't be necessarily reduced to one or two elements. I think there's cultural problems that uh, put us in this position. I think there are bullshit jobs that aren't the result of capitalism, but a paternalistic state and from lack of sovereignty um, and from a, a pushing of ideology. And there's an attitude towards white collar work that I think is really, really retrograde. Okay. So the final thing we need to discuss is what to do if you are so unfulfilled in your job that you feel like you have to quote, quiet, quit. But before that, and since we mentioned objectivism, in some ways people might think that quiet quitting 
is the selfish thing to do, which means they don't go above and beyond what. So in, in a way, they do something for themselves. So one of the people who were interviewed in one of these articles that talk about quiet quitting, I think it was in Business Insider, said that since she quiet quit, she hasn't got the headache, she had horrible migraines at work since that she didn't have any more migraines and that her mental health and mental health well-being is better. So is it selfish to quiet quit? I think the most selfish thing would be to find a job where you don't have to feel like you have to get so uh, drastic uh, measures in order to not to have your mental health, uh, mental health hurt. So Robert says in the super chat that you're going to spend 40 hours per week, 52 weeks per year for 20 to 50 years of your life. Make it awesome, capital letters. If your job sucks, make a plan to improve it or get out. Don't quote quiet quit. Don't ever settle for less. And I like this point that when you quiet quit, in a way you lower the bar, you are less ambitious <coughs> about what your work life should be like. At the same time, so I also uh, changed the career after the pandemic. I joined ARI because, except everything else, it could give me the life I would want in terms of working from uh, home. But at the same time, I never quite quit university because I felt I had an obligation to these people. These people trusted me with a job. They trusted me with a salary. I was accountable to my colleagues. So even in the last week, in my last two universities, when I had emptied my house, I was paying from my own pocket to stay in a hotel because I didn't want to miss a single class. I didn't want to miss a single office hour at my job. So I don't know if this is unselfish, but when you get pride from your work, even if your work is not the most exciting work, you get self-esteem from the idea that I'm doing this work well. Uh, Razi said something brilliant. We were discussing the quote work-life balance and we we're discussing Howard Rock. And Razi said, Howard Rock doesn't even care about work-life balance, not only when he's an architect, but also in the quarry. And obviously that's an exaggeration, like a joke, but there's something to it. Rourke is proud that he's the best quarry worker. He doesn't enjoy the, the quarry. He doesn't enjoy breaking rock all day, but there's a pride in the fact that he's good. And this pride shows when Dominique sees him from far away. He's so good at his job that he has this posture, this air, this aura that says, even here I'm the best. So I could never imagine someone who has this self-esteem quiet quitting. But again, you know, people have their own context, their own needs, but I think there should be at least a sign that something is off in your life and you'd have to, to approach it from a way which is quite, uh, which is quite selfish. And Michael, uh, Michael says, when we achieve an objective in society, most people will work remotely, love their careers, and only have to work 10 hours a week to live in mansions with, with flying cars. Well, <laughs> this, but uh, unironically, I would say. And thanks, many thanks to Marilyn and Jonathan for their super chat. So here's my final question, Mark. Most people, when they think about quitting or changing career, they think about doing something that has to do with producing some content, with uh, having, I don't know, a channel or a podcast or, or uh, being a remote teacher or whatever. The question is, does the world, can the world su support that, particularly when we are entering times 
of uh, perceived and projected uh, economic hardships. For example, recently, there, there was a research survey at schools and one in four kids want to become a YouTube or a TikTok or a content creator. And the question is, is this sustainable? Could there be a world where everyone tries to do something fulfilling and everyone ends up doing something at home in front of a computer and in front of a camera? Do you think this is a realistic, uh, realistic pattern? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Um, um, you know, the, the future, the future advancements and in innovation have brought us things we couldn't possibly imagine. So, you know, who knows where these social media platforms are going to spin off to, into and what kinds of innovations they'll spur if they're allowed to. So, um, it, traditionally, I think, I think even in tough economic times, entertainment as a whole always prospers. I think people will always look to that and and having more platforms to to um entertain people i is is viable so far but um you know I, I i couldn't put my finger on whether or not it's sustainable and the thing is even if it's not sustainable the step towards that direction can bring something in your way that is sustainable i remember in the summer of 2020 we had a meetup uh, on members only RC UK meetup with Amanda Maxam. And back then she was talking about developing a curriculum for, I don't remember, maths or something like that for remote teaching. So, and that was, that got into my mind, this germ, this idea of, oh, maybe I can do something where I have geographical independence. And through this, a process started where I ended up somewhere completely differently. And Amanda also ended up somewhere completely differently. But at least there was this ambitiousness that I want to do something else. I want to do something better with my life. So at the end of the day, I would say it's two things. One, be selfish from the aspiration you have from your work. And don't settle, as Robert said, with something which is, oh, at least at five o'clock, I stop, uh, I leave my job. Because again, you're not alone in your job. And maybe doing this thing where at five o'clock, okay, now I, I kind of log off. What if soon your boss finds someone who is better than that and uh, someone who is working to work longer hours? And that's when the leftists will say, oh, this is what capitalism does. It's a dog-eat-dog. -dog. So if you don't work overtime, someone else is going to work overtime. So, but, but again, this is, a, this is a mindset which is not, I think, good to adopt. I had this mindset as a kid, as a younger person, that, oh, if I, if I stay one more minute, my boss is gonna make is gonna take more surplus value from me. Again, this wasn't good for me. I didn't feel good for my with myself. I didn't feel proud that I left at one minute earlier. Although I had uh, this idea that okay, now I'm a good uh, Marxist. And talking about Marxism in Italy in the 70s, there was a whole movement where workers in the factory would work less or would do sabotage in the factory or they would do the so-called uh, white uh, strikes. And again, this is what happened. Soon the factories left Italy, they went to uh, Asia, and then the Italian working class was wondering what happened to us and where have all the factories gone. So these solutions are not, they're not good for you or for your, uh, or for your employer or for your, uh, for uh, the way you view the world. So Enric yes. says, 
Yeah, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say it's it's definitely uh, regressive. I mean, there's no such thing as staying in one place in life. You're either moving backwards or forwards. And capitalism is the type of system that pushes you forwards. It, 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 it compels you to progress whether you like it or not, you know, um, and, and people don't like that. They don't like the change that comes from that. They don't like being pressed and ambitious. And, and I think it's because they've had a relationship with ambition and worldly, uh, the desire for worldly goods and the desire for success and happiness and pride that I think is counterproductive. I, I think that's part of what drives them the way they, the way they go. And burnout is a real thing, and it can happen even to the most, quote, objectivist, uh, objectivist person, because you might have wrong premises, and you might not do your job for selfish reasons. So, again, go and, for people who are more interested in this, we did a whole episode criticizing hustle culture from, let's say, our own uh, point of view. Henry, Henrik says, and very, thank you very much for your super chat, Henrik. I can see doing just what's necessary in a job if you are developing a career outside the job that you love. Yes, in a way, I was doing this for years. But again, not. I don't like the term doing just what's necessary because then the eight hours you spend at your day job are unfulfilling. So do your job as good as you can do it. Even if you work, uh, if you do something that uh, sucks, I was a... Uh, I was doing litter picking. I was cleaning toilets in a club as a student. I still tried to get some pride of it because of like, okay, since I'm already cleaning vomit, at least do it well, because otherwise it sucks even more if I do it with an attitude that I need to just go home. Robert, who is uh, in great spirits today says, I'm not saying pride is easy, but to quote Bethany Hamilton, I don't need easy. I just need possible. <laughs> Good. Marilyn says, get rid of minimum wage laws and child labor laws. A lot of entry-level work could be done that way, and schools would change. So many possibilities. Definitely so many possibilities, and I'm so glad that when the crisis happened in Greece, I was working in a country with more, quote, flexible labor laws like the UK, and that's why I could do various different jobs, and I'm very glad that uh, zero-hour contracts that the left wants to ban uh, were actually possible and I could find various different jobs in the UK. Get rid of all government support for unions, says Marilyn. Well, yeah, and unions, we can have a whole discussion on what is the effect of unions on uh, how people view their job and how people view their workplace. Okay, and Christopher, with uh, he sent us some Canadian dollars. Thank you very much, uh, Christopher. By the way, it's interesting since we mentioned unions that in the last 30 years or so in the West, unions talk more about workers' quote well-being and mental health rather than about their material condition and the wages they get, which I think it's an interesting sign of the times we're in. Okay, upcoming shows, 9 p.m. UK time, HBTV with Harry Binswager. The topic is refuting Hayek. And Mark, final words. <laughs> yeah, I think you should emulate the fact, uh, uh, the Rourke's ability to be in the moment and present with everything that he does uh, and, and not the cliche of I'm an objectivist, I should love my work. Just be 
really present with everything that you do and do the best that you can with everything that you do. And you'll find yourself probably being pretty happy. Super fast question. Uh, being present in the moment is super difficult. What would be your 20 seconds advice? Meditation or what? I think meditation is great. I mean, I studied a technique for many, many years and teach a technique called the Meisner method, which is a, a, an approach to acting that revolves a lot around being in the moment. So you, we've crafted exercises, listening exercises, and ac- what we call activity exercises that enhance your capacity to be really, really present with somebody. So I practice that every day and I practice it all the time when I work. But, you know, the various kinds Sorry, of- How medit- did you call it? The Meisner method? The Meisner technique. If you if you were to look at, he, he has a book out called Meisner, Sanford Meisner on acting. And uh, if you were to take a good Meisner class, and there's only a few out there, I, I don't. The only ones in Europe to take would be with me and my wife. Um, you would find your capacity to be in the moment, growing and growing and growing with each class that you participated in. Okay, cool. So yeah. we can we can discuss it at some uh, point because again, being in the moment is something that I'm really bad, and it, it's it causes problems in my life. Like I live, I check if I've uh, switched off the kitchen. And then I leave the house and ask myself, did I check whether I switched off the kitchen? Because when I was checking, I was not in the moment. I was mm. technically checking, but my mind was somewhere else. So, mm-hmm. so okay, let's not do a second episode within the episode okay. of being in the moment. But I'm, believe I'm it very or, interesting to discuss. Believe it or not, there's some stuff by Aldous Huxley. You know, uh, there's a book called The Island, which is about that very thing. It's a community. It's sort of a utopian book about a community that... Um, uh, where the birds chant here and now boys here and now boys about about being in the moment and how to be present there's there's tons of books I can turn you on to um, you know later on that I think will help you uh, stay in the moment Jay Krishnamurti's flame of attention might might get you um, I don't know if you ever read Jay Krishnamurti you have to throw out the bad with with the, with the good with the focus in the moment stuff that matters okay we can <laughs> we, we need to discuss this further anyway yeah. That's that's enough for uh, today. We're not quite quitting, but I like shorter episodes. So thanks, Mark. And we're going to see you all soon. Thank you. Peace. Bye-bye.